Five pro-life activists are charged with violating the freedom to access clinic entrances law and face up to 11 years in prison. I will have the, one of the lead attorneys on the program to discuss this and what this means for them and for the pro-life movement. Also, we're going to be talking about late-term abortions. Are they a thing? Well, according to the pro-abortion people, they aren't. They don't happen. Nobody uh, promotes them. Well, I'll debunk that here on the program with evidence and video. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Mark Harrington Show. Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can donate to our work by going to createdequal.org, and you can pick up the program on all the popular podcasting platforms. Follow me on social media as well, Instagram, YouTube, and all the rest. Uh, we're here in Ohio fighting this constitutional amendment that's going to be on the ballot in November. We're going to talk about that later in the program. But before we do, we got some breaking news coming out of Washington, D.C. And I know if you're a pro-life activist like myself, you've been following this closely. And I've been talking about it for years with good friends of mine who are involved in the uh, Operation Rescue Movement or have been the Red Rose Rescue Movement. My good friend, Dr. Monica Miller and others I've had on the program to talk about it. Well, today we're going to talk about this case in Washington, D.C., against five individuals, pro-life activists that were uh, involved in a, uh, a rescue, if you will, at the uh, Santangelo Abortion Mill in Washington, D.C., uh, the Washington Surgery Clinic back in October of 2020. And uh, they were charged, or at least in March of 2022, if I'm correct here, and a verdict was handed down last week uh, against the five found guilty of violating the freedom to access clinic entrances law. And so we want to talk about that with Martin Cannon, who is the senior trial counsel for the Thomas Memorial Society, who represents Lauren Handy, one of those plaintiffs. Uh, Mike, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Martin, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate everything the Thomas More Society does. They keep people like me out of trouble. I appreciate that very much, <laughs> you guys, Good. and the You're work you welcome. <laughs> I love Tom Brecka, Peter Breen, Andy Bath are all good, good friends of mine and, and do just amazing work. And uh, so, listen, I, I want to bring our people up to speed as to what's happening here. There's been a lot of discussion in the pro-life movement about this trial. And uh, if you would bring us up to speed, we've got five individuals, Lauren Handy, Will Goodman, John Hinshaw. Heather Idoni, I, I think it's pronounced, and then uh, Rosemary Garrity, goes by Herb, have all been apparently convicted of face. So, first of all, what is the Freedom to Access Clinic Entrances Law or FACE? What is it? What, what it is is a law that was passed in the early 90s uh, that basically says it's illegal to use force, threat, or obstruction to block somebody's uh, access to a clinic because that person is providing or seeking reproductive health services and reproductive health services, of course, revolve around abortion. Right. And, and this uh, was brought up access to a clinic because they're doing something other than legal abortions. 
you're not violating face. And that's something we might talk about in a little more detail here because that was essentially our defense. Yeah, and the law was passed and signed into law during the Clinton administration after the Operation Rescue Movement yeah. uh, because of the blockades. And really up to date, it hasn't really come into play until recently. And well, that's something we need to talk about. Yeah, there, there's been a spike in face prosecutions. I've handled several of them, but they're separated by years, you know, and then yeah. suddenly we have we have this one. We have Mark Houck. We've got one in Tennessee. We have one in Michigan. Uh, it, it was as though the, the DOJ could see that Roe was on borrowed time and they were just starting brush fires everywhere they could. Right, right. So let's talk about this specific case. My listeners, my viewers will be familiar with... Uh, that abortion center there in Washington, D.C., the Washington, D.C. Surgery Center run by late-term abortionist Cesare Santangelo. Uh, my listeners and viewers are familiar with that because we talked about the D.C. 5, the late-term children, along with others that were retrieved from a sidewalk from a medical waste provider uh, over about a, about a year and a half ago. Uh, that obviously is a story kind of that runs parallel in some ways to this. But before that is when the uh, alleged violation of face occurred. And that was in, if I'm correct, and correct me if I'm wrong, Martin, that was March of 2020, or I'm sorry, October of 2020. Is that is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so what's gone on now? They've, they've had the, the uh, tell, tell us about the case starting, what, a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Get us up to speed. Well, first of all, it's not just our five. There, there are 10 defendants and the judge okay. split the case in two. So the other 10 will, or the other five will be tried very shortly here. And it's really only one case. So in a way, the case isn't really over yet. But, but our right. five were tried. It took us a week to get a jury. And that's actually pretty important. This is Washington, D.C. The judge right. wisely pulled in over 100 people for a jury pool. And we took a week going through it. Easily 75% of the jury pool were people who not only donate to Planned Parenthood regularly, but also march in the women's marches. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, out, of the, out of the 110 or 120 people, only two or three made vague and kind of noncommittal notions and comments about being pro-life. So that by the time we got a jury selected, we had three or four people who are regular donors to Planned Parenthood and march in the marches. And the other members of the jury uh, are people for whom access to reproductive health care is a very important issue. Mm -hmm. So you can see the what were the problem in Washington, yeah. D.C. And yeah. uh, having said that, I do think the jury listened to us pretty carefully, especially during closing. And uh, uh, they did take a little longer to come up with their convictions uh, than, than they might have. So I do think they were thinking about it. But nonetheless, you can see what we're dealing with. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we all understand. I've talked about this and uh, most of America understands you can't get a fair trial in Washington, D.C. Look at Donald Trump right now. I mean, it's just right. not likely that that man's going to walk away without a conviction. But, right. you know, and I think we all understand the, the the corruption and the Department of Justice and all of that. And we'll get into that afterwards. Mm -hmm. But talk about the trial, how to go, the verdict, what it means for those who are now sitting in prison. It's very important. Uh, understand that the violation of face for most of our people uh, would would be a misdemeanor. And uh, there's a question about physical injury can kind of kick it up and all that. And there's some uncertainty on that uh, on that point as to sentencing. But but the, the big takeaway here is 
this is likely to be a misdemeanor. But the federal government, in seeing that, charges them also with a conspiracy under a little-used conspiracy statute that makes a conspiracy to commit a misdemeanor a felony. Mm. So we've got people who could be convicted of a, of a six-month violation, uh, the underlying violation, but do 10 years in prison for conspiring to do it, which is just, it's just imbalanced, it's unfair, it's improper. Yeah, and the thing is, I wanted to get, I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but it's a, what they call conspiracy against rights. Am I correct? That's correct. And what right is being conspired against? Well, that would, that in theory is the federal right, the federal constitutional right to an abortion. And of course, our argument is that after Dobbs, there is no longer such a right. And that'll be one of the items on appeal that I do think the Supreme Court will take very seriously. Well, certainly there is no federal right to abort. We believe that all along. But as far as the Supreme Court goes, they they struck down Roe versus Wade and Dobbs is the precedent now. So uh, that's the thing here. Right. So the, the, what what is the uh, penalty for a first timer if they violate fr- face and it's a nonviolent uh, uh, violation? Six, what? six months, six months. Six months. So six months in the in the conspiracy against rights, you say, is up to 10. Is that the. Yes. Yes. OK. And, uh, so it's just very disproportionate. Most federal conspiracy charges are brought under a different statute that that's that that pro- specifically provides that the penalty for the conspiracy can be no worse than the penalty for the underlying uh crime. Makes but sense. in this case, there's no such protection because federal constitutional rights are sort of a sacred cow and, you know, maybe they should be. But the problem is there isn't one anymore. And right. and that's an important uh, change since Dobbs. And let's just talk about face generally. It was, it was I think, signed into law in 1993. Maybe I'm wrong there. By maybe 94, early 94. 90s. Uh, unconstitutional, right? Well, there's the a law very itself. Good argument. There's a very good argument that it's uh, actually content-based, and uh, and and other constitutional arguments. Of course, they've been tried many, many times, and it's always survived. This might be different because it's post-Dobbs. It's never been challenged post-Dobbs, and our case has been. We've made a good record on it. Uh, it's teed up. It's ready for that challenge, and we're probably farther in the pipeline than any other case. So five, these five plaintiffs were found guilty of violating face and the conspiracy against rights. Tell us what happened when the judgment was handed down, decision. Well, that was also a bit of a surprise. You know, the, the expectation is typically that when you get convicted of a crime, you've been out on pretrial release. Uh, you stay out on pretrial release until you're sentencing, which could be a couple months down the road. In this case, the judge took the defendants immediately into custody and the reason she did is because she feels like uh, she did it under a state or a federal law that says when you convict somebody of a crime of violence, you take them into custody right away. You don't wait for sentencing. Hmm. Uh, she viewed the FACE Act as a or violation of it as a crime of violence, uh, even though you can violate FACE without committing violence. So we yeah. feel like she put it in the in that in the wrong category. And, and we just yesterday filed an emergency appeal with the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to have her view of that uh, uh, reviewed. Right. So 
explain what your client did. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. That, I mean, it, it starts uh, actually with the Santangelo video that your client, your people are probably familiar with. There. 10 years before the event, she's a kid in college. She's, you know, liberal as they come. She's a very left-leaning person in practically every way. But she sees this video and it absolutely struck her to the core. She skipped her final exam. She quit school. She sold her book collection. She packed her bag and she took a four-day train trip. Well, first of all, she took a four-hour train ride to Santangelo's clinic where Lila Rose was having a press conference, attended oh, the press conference. Then she took a four day bus trip, I think it was, to California to work for another pro-life organization, researching specifically the incidence of, of born alive abortions. That was such an important thing to her that she came back across the country on two occasions to go just to his clinic. And uh, that became a big part of our defense, because if mm -hmm. uh, if Santangelo is is delivering babies alive and killing them or letting them die, this is not reproductive health care under face. And those babies are entitled to all the same protections that you and I would be entitled to if somebody was killing us. Mm -hmm. Lauren can go in the clinic. She can block things. She can make a ruckus. She can refuse to leave. She's 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 protecting human children whose killing right. is not protected by face. Right. And and you attempted, at least from what I've read, to introduce information regarding this, the, the images yes. and the video. Mr. Producer, if you would go ahead and play this. This is really rough stuff, friends. Yeah. I mean, this is this is grotesque, terrible. Uh, I mean, beyond belief that someone can do this. Yeah. But uh, we have the footage and they would uh, the judge refused to allow this into court. Is that correct? Right. She she looked at the video and she felt like uh, in it, Santangelo was not admitting that these live birth abortions were happening or could happen in his clinic. Uh, I think she's just reading it wrong. She felt like the prejudicial impact of these videos was uh, exceeded their probative value and all that. That's a kind of a weighing thing that we do about evidence. But interestingly enough, how could it be, how could they have pro, a prejudicial effect if they, if not for the very important point that we're trying to bring out here? Exactly. You know, I mean, if we were showing, uh, you know, Petri dishes or, you know, lasagna pans full of appendixes that people had removed, nobody would say that has a prejudicial impact. It's because these are babies. Right. And so they didn't allow the defense that uh, she was, you know, she was out to defend these pre these preborn children. And, you know, now, we've let, talked let about this case on that. Just one one bit. The sure judge thing. allowed her to testify that she had seen a video which convinced her that Santangelo is letting babies be born alive and killing them or letting them die. Uh, and she talked about how much it impacted her. But without actually showing the video, that just yeah. sounds like the ravings of a of an activist, who's yes. conspiratorial or whatever. The video would have given Lauren credibility on that point, and we weren't allowed mm -hmm. to show it. Well, and the vid the video also lends to the to the charges of people that like myself who said that Santangelo's uh, violating federal law, Partial Birth Abortion Act, and the Unborn Victims of Violence Act. Right? I mean, right. that's 
but that's that obviously isn't part of this case. But those uh, charges have never been um, even barely even looked at by the Washington right. D.C. establishment, if you will. So, right. all right. So Lauren and uh, the others are currently in prison, awaiting sentencing. When is that happening? Uh, it isn't scheduled yet. We've got, a, of course, right now we're working on the, the reversing the immediate incarceration thing. That's going to take some time. We also have what's called a Rule 29 motion that we have to make. It's a motion to dismiss that really happens at the close of the state's case, but we put it off until the end of the trial so we could have the benefit of the transcript to make it. Mm -hmm. um, that's mostly a formality, this, but the sentencing won't be set likely until after that hearing. So, so friends... Friends, we want, first of all, we need to be praying for these individuals who are currently incarcerated because of their defense of the unborn. You may not agree with rescue. You may agree with rescue. You may think that civil disobedience is not something that pro-life pro activists should be participating in. Really, to me, that's not even of, of an issue here. We have fellow brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, taken to prison, possibly because of their beliefs that that the preborn deserve rights and are willing to put their bodies in the way to, to possibly defend them and do things that are completely, from my perspective, legitimate if we believe that what we believe, and that is that the unborn are human and deserve the same protections that born children do. Uh, so Martin, if you would, uh, let me, uh, let me kind of put a fine point on this and get your, you know, kind of perspective on what you think is really going on here. Uh, is the Biden administration trying to send a signal to pro-lifers or is this just a one-off? I think, I think it's trying to send signals in two directions. One, to the pro-lifers saying, you know, we're watching, we're not going to overlook any of this stuff. You commit a small crime, we're going to charge you with a big one. Uh, but mm. I think they're also sending a signal to their base that says mm. we're on this, you know, when Dobbs came down and the left was going crazy, I think I think the Biden administration wanted to get on the wagon. And that's kind of what we're looking at here. So uh, and then on the other end of it, you know, uh, Lauren's concerns about live birth abortions were very much corroborated by yeah. these babies that came off the truck a year or so after the event. And yeah. when when we and a lot of other people, 24 five congressmen and senators demanded that this be investigated. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser wrote a letter back to them saying, without any autopsy having been done, no kind of, no significant evaluation of these babies at all. She said, and her police person said, these babies were killed legally. The real crime here is how Lauren Handy came into possession of the babies. Forget about the, 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 the murder over here. Look at the jaywalker over here. It is, it is, they are so in the tank for this mm -hmm. sacred cow that is abortion yeah. that yeah. truth doesn't even matter. Yeah. And so the second trial of the, what is there, four more that are going before the same judge? When is that taking place? Um, it's very soon. I forget the exact date, but it's within the next few weeks. Okay. So, friends, uh, we want you to be praying for this uh, case. We want you to be praying for the uh, Thomas More Society and their attorneys, including Martin as they try to defend the, uh, the the folks here that are involved in this. Uh, this should involve, this, this should concern all of us as pro-life activists that uh, it's open season. The Biden administration will stop at nothing to stop us, even if it comes to using laws like the FACE Act 
to bring us down. So we're seeing this across the board, this type of corruption, and we need to be willing to stand against it. Martin, if you would give us some parting words as you're uh, as you're representing Lauren and for that matter, many of these. And likewise, how would you uh, exhort our fellow pro-life activists across the country as they're looking at this? Well, I would say, first of all, pray for our clients. They need it. They're a lovely, lovely bunch of people. I've thoroughly enjoyed. I feel it's an honor to represent them. Uh, The other thing is join them. Uh, Mm. They are falling on their swords. One of them likes to say abortion is murder. Let's act like it. Mm -hmm. And they are they are falling on their swords on this issue. Already, we've seen pro-abortion people flipped over to pro-life stuff because Mm. of these people and this case. And it's going to keep happening, but it will happen all the more if more people kind of join them on the sidewalks or join them in the clinics. Uh, it's, it's, it's so worthwhile. We are winning this issue. We are winning this thing. But it, it has been entirely a product of God's grace and the actions of activists, not people sitting in their church basements writing letters to the editor but getting out there and making noise when when the more politic people would say you should be quiet. So we need the activists. We love the activists. We'll take them with all their warts. They're wonderful people, and God bless them. Well, you're speaking our language here. I <laughs> created equal. Again, my guest today, Martin Cannon, Senior Trial Counsel for the Thomas More Society. Martin, thanks for taking the time. And we will be in prayer for you and all of those who are representing our friends there in Washington with this egregious face uh, act trial. Appreciate your work. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, friends, I hope that uh, the last segment with uh, Martin Cannon brought you up to speed as to what's happening with this uh, case against the five activists in Washington on the Freedom to Access Clinic entrances law. And what I want to do is I want to segue to what's happening here in the state of Ohio, because this whole concept or idea, the notion that there is late term abortion happening in America is something that the pro-abortion activists will not admit. They continually say that it's not a thing. It doesn't happen. We're not pronomia. Democrats don't want to support it. Pro-abortion activists don't support it. And it's just not happening. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. This recently came up in the GOP debate several weeks ago when Ron DeSantis brought up the story of an abortion survivor, a victim who survived a, an abortion. And uh, right there before your eyes, you can see it. And he mentioned it. And that started a firestorm of controversy across the country talking about late term abortion. And of course, the other side is circling the wagons on this and saying that it doesn't happen. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of information here, and that is this. Late-term abortion really is not defined specifically by the medical community, although there is a general consensus that it takes place around the second trimester when an unborn child can feel pain. And so this can be anywhere from 15 weeks and up. Uh, Right now in the state of Ohio, we have an uh, an abortion ban at 21 and a half weeks, and that's generally based on the notion of viability, viability. So somewhere in this area is what we consider a late-term abortion. Uh, they happen. Uh, according to uh, the Centers for Disease Control, 
113 late-term abortions occurred in the state of Ohio in 2020. Uh, after 21 weeks, uh, there were uh, 1,200, uh, sorry, 1,218 abortions were committed after 16 weeks in the state of Ohio. Nationally speaking, the uh, according to, again, to the Centers of Disease Control, about 10,000 late-term abortions occur in the United States. So it is a thing. And if you don't believe me, let's just look at the ones who perform them. The Alan Guttmacher Institute uh, basically verifies that this is a thing. According to Alan Guttmacher himself, who is the father of Planned Parenthood, he said that uh, abortions would be unlikely to prolong much less life or save life he said, today it's possible for almost any patient to be brought through a pregnancy alive unless they suffer from fetal illness such as cancer or leukemia. So what he's saying there is that these so-called late-term abortions are occurring on healthy babies and healthy mothers. Um this is the case. I mean, we look at Martin Haskell, who performs late-term abortions here in the state of Ohio, and he goes, I'll be quite frank, most of my abortions are elective in that range of 20 to 24 weeks. In my particular case, probably 20% are for genetic reasons. Only two out of 10 are for reasons of genetics. 80% are purely elective. So we're talking about Martin Haskell. We're talking about Alan Guttmacher, uh, verifying that late-term abortions do happen. And, of course, I just showed you video of Cesare Santangelo's victims, the five that were retrieved from a sidewalk in front of an abortion center in Washington, D.C. We don't need any more evidence than that. Uh, it may not be happening th as often as second and first trimester abortions, but if you consider that, what, in the state of Ohio, 113 were killed this way in 2020 and 1,218 after 16 weeks of pregnancy, and that in the country 10,000 occur every year, that's a lot, especially looking at these children. Most of them can live outside the womb. And so, friends, the reason I bring this up is not only is there a full-scale uh, effort to debunk the notion that there are late-term abortions all across the country coming from the Democrat Party in regards to the 2024 presidential election, but we're facing this in Ohio. And that is we have a constitutional amendment that's going to be on the ballot on November 7th, and it will expand abortion up to the very moment of birth. If you don't believe me, Let's listen to the ones that are promoting the amendment. And what I want to do is I'm going to play this clip. This is from uh, my good friend and colleague, Seth Dreher, who comments on the, uh, on the statements made by those who are supporting the amendment and a question that was asked from a reporter regarding the idea that abortions would be enshrined in the Ohio Constitution up to the very moment of birth. Go ahead and play this clip. Again, Seth Dreher commenting, from this press conference that was held regarding the abortion amendment here in Ohio. Go ahead and play the clip. The radical pro-abortion amendment in Ohio would make it legal to kill babies through all nine months of pregnancy. Don't believe me? Listen to their leaders. And what is great about this issue is that this would allow 
Now that's a reporter right there asking the question. That there's abortions up to the very moment of birth. Lisa we trust Ohioans her. to be able to make their decision about their reproductive health care. Her response, not that's wrong, but we trust people to decide for themselves. Now that's enough right there. But the reporter taking that as a non-answer repeated his question. And then the leader of Pro-Choice Ohio stood up. Um, all due respect, that's BS. Um, there are so very few instances where a uh, patient requires um, an abortion later in pregnancy. And when they do, that is a deeply personal decision with very deeply complex factors personal. that have to be taken into account. Ones complex. that no politician or judge should be involved in. All due respect, there's our answer. First, she says that late term abortions are rare. But that means they do happen. And further, she says that when they happen, they're personal, so personal that people should decide without any judge or politician involvement. That means their amendment is aimed toward giving every born person the right to kill preborn people, that is babies, at any point in pregnancy, early or late. There's our answer. This is barbaric. This is radical. Protect children. Vote no. There you go. Could, couldn't have said it better. My colleague, uh, Seth Dreher, responding to the comments of the pro-abortion people regarding the notion, the understanding that the abortion amendment here in Ohio will legalize abortion up to the very moment of birth and remove all limitations on abortion up until birth. Kelly Copeland, the pro-abortion advocate, said that these abortions occur because women are it's a deeply personal issue. Deeply personal. Let's think about that. Let's extrapolate that and say, what about born children? Do you think it's deeply personal for a woman to kill their born child? What's personal about that? Nothing. It's barbaric, period. Uh, she says complex. I, what is so complex about a child that can live outside the womb who, by killing it, does nothing to save the life or health of the mother? Because the baby can live outside the womb. You don't need to take the life of the unborn child. In fact, C. Everett Koop, who was a former Surgeon General uh, around 1980, said this about late-term abortions in the uh, cases of affecting or dealing with the issues of the health of the mother. He said, quote, I have never known of one instance where the child had to be aborted to save the mother's life or health. Not a single one. And it, it, I mean, it, it makes sense. If the child's viable, perform a cesarean, a cesarean section, deliver the child alive. There's no reason to kill the baby other than you want a dead baby. And that's really at the heart of this. So late-term abortions are a thing. In the state of Ohio, we are looking at uh, this constitutional amendment, which will enshrine abortion up to the moment of birth, remove all limitations on abortion. Why do I say that? If you look at the language itself, and Mr. Producer, if you would scroll down, and uh, we have this amendment on our website at createdequal.org slash abortion amendment. And if you hover over the words health, uh, you will see what that means. So basically, the, the constitutional amendment basically says that abortion can be restricted or banned in the cases of viability. It talks about what viability means, but then says that between the physician, which is the abortionist, and the mother, 
they can decide to have an abortion in the cases uh, if it threatens the health of the mother. And we know historically and legally speaking that that issue of health of the mother has been interpreted by courts and, 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 and uh, lawyers and attorneys and jurists to include almost anything. Emotional, familial, psychological, spiritual health. So basically for any reason or no reason, even if the child's viable between the abortionist and the mother, if they believe that the child threatens the health of the mother, they can kill the baby after viability. And then again, viability has been uh, redefined over the years. In fact, Warren Hearn himself recently said in an article that appeared in the Atlantic magazine that health is, or, or that viability is really up to the abortionist or the doctor, he says, and the woman to decide. So in other words, if the woman doesn't want the baby, then the baby's not viable. It has nothing to do with the science, has nothing to do with whether the baby can live outside the womb. And so that is why we make the case that if this amendment is passed, if this constitutional amendment is passed and abortion is enshrined in the Ohio Constitution, it will take away all limitations and restrictions on abortion all the way to the very moment of birth, legalizing painful, violent, late-term abortions, we are telling the truth. Uh, and so people can can understand that. And, and to find out more, you can go to our website at createdequal.org slash abortion amendment. And friends, we need your help. Here's your call to action. I keep beating the drum here. We need people to come to Ohio and be involved in our door-to-door -door campaign. We are gearing up right now. And within a week, we're going to be hitting the ground running with groups all across the country or all across the state in five separate regions. And we are hoping to knock on hundreds of thousands of doors between now and November. And we need people to come and volunteer to do that. And you can sign up by going to createdequal.org slash Ohio. And you can sign up on our website there and we will get in touch with you and put you in the game. So thanks for tuning in today on the Mark Harrington Show. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.